This is an excerpt from Different Ways, Revealing the Feminine by Seal, published 2020. Chapter 16. Everybody's got a laughing place. The booze was flowing and I was wedged into a booth with a bunch of folks I didn't really know. I worked at the Veritable Quandary, a bar in downtown Portland as a pantry chef. My job did not consist of any responsibility other than remembering how to make cheesecake and put a chef salad or a sandwich together. I had what I thought was a boyfriend who had given me the heave-ho at the behest of his friends, and being off my shift, I was hell-bent on a pity party. I didn't care who attended. I had decided I was going to leave Portland, and I signed up to go to clown school in California. It seemed somehow an appropriate exit strategy at the time. I felt 99% clown, and I was feeling that I needed to move on. I had to get away. Poor me, being in my cups, I was certainly drunk. And as I began to leave the establishment, I was scooped up by Don, a regular at the bar, who offered me a ride home. He made the pretense of wanting to leave anyway. I suspect he was worried about my safety. Don leaned into his cane as we made our way to his old car. I leaned into Don and began an ugly cry, the kind that only can be produced by someone who is filthy drunk. My boyfriend rejected me. Boo-hoo. I was dropped off in front of my apartment building on Northwest Gleason. I was still crying as I bid Don goodbye and thanked him. He was a sweet man. Swaying on the curb, I watched him drive off. Still crying, I turned to stagger up the stairs to my apartment building doors. Just as I had my key out, I felt someone side up to me. It was a guy. I had seen him at my table at the quandary. He touched my shoulder, pulling me away from the door. His touch initiated more tears. I recognized him enough to see him as my friend in my stupor. He hugged me and encouraged me to take a little walk as he had led me down the stairs. I could tell him all about it. We walked and walked and walked and walked. I figured later that we must have been up in the Japanese gardens. I was tiring. He suggested we take a shortcut through the woods to see something. I don't recall what. The moon? I remember scrambling through the underbrush and briar bushes, his grabbing me and his pulling at my pants to get them off. No! My pleas for him to stop fell into themselves and he entered my body. I know only this, I began to leave my body, but before I was completely gone, I got angry. I tried once more to get up and go home. My hand rooted around in the loamy forest floor, trying to get leverage to stand and leave. His weight held me down. My fingers found a large rock and I loosened it. Damn it, get off of me! I thought as I struggled. But if I said it aloud, I have no memory of doing so. What I do recall, as vividly as I sit here writing this, was a voice, a male voice, that calmly and seriously said to me, No.
Don't do it. This will never happen to you again. Don't. With that, I relaxed my grip on the rock, left my body there, and the guy concluded his business with me. My rapist was a gentleman. He walked me back to my place. He didn't strangle me or beat me senseless. It was all nothing to him. I was nothing. I followed a bit behind him so I could watch him. I was cavalier. I could never let him know anything he did to me mattered. I might be in worse danger if I did. I knew that much. As we made our way back, I was sobering up and already feeling as though I was lucky it wasn't worse. The sun was now rising. At home, I assessed myself. I was covered with cuts from briar bushes and the action from the forest floor as I was thrust into it. My skin stung. Few women reported rape in those days. Certainly not me. I wasn't going to put myself in that awkward position with the authorities. No, thank you. I was already putting the whole thing behind me. I told my neighbor friend when he came over to visit that morning that some guy shanghaied me coming home from the bar. I recall saying to him that Br'er Fox done flung Br'er Rabbit into that Br'er Patch as I showed him the cuts and scrapes on my arms. Those were days of self-blame before I had the knowledge and skills necessary to rescue myself from it. I had lost my mother's sterling silver rose ring in that assault. This is what broke me. I could afford to break there. I loved that ring, and I had worn it since I was a teenager, so I cried over losing the ring. Many times I have reflected upon that voice and its directive in deep wonder. For one, a male voice, really? I mean, you'd think it would be a woman's voice advising me in such an ordeal. At least I would. It wasn't until decades later that it occurred to me that if I had swung at that guy and tried to plow that rock into his skull as drunk as I was, it was probably unlikely that it would have killed him, as I imagined for years. I probably would have just grazed him, and he would have retaliated, and the whole thing could have escalated with my being in further danger, or maybe even dead. So there is that. Cry power. Also, years again after that, I realized that this voice I heard stopping me was of me and was watching me go through the consequences. I had experienced an immense altering of my vibrational field, and I kept insisting on suppressing that resonance to the point of wallowing. I'm not saying this as a way to cloak a sense of my culpability in being vulnerable, but to state that in terms of spiritual evolution, my consequences grew in direct proportion to the decisions I was making. In this case, I was enjoying the flow of my life until it veered into something I didn't want. Not only did I disrupt the flow on where my life was going, but I stubbornly defended it by drinking and disrespecting myself, careening off into a deeper dysfunction. As a woman and an equal, I invited a fight that I was meant to lose. I had a promise that it would never happen again. 
one I can trust coming from somewhere that is not entrapped in linear time. I'm hoping that it's true. It has been for 40 years. Is that enough time to believe it? I do know this. Should I ever find myself in such a situation again and have the opportunity to bash the person's head in, and even if it did just serve to tick them off and they killed me outright, well, it's a good day to die because life after rape is a kind of destitute existence. It's a half-life to a non-life. More often than not, one wishes they were dead. This is what rape is meant to do. It isn't about sex. It is of sex. Sex is the weapon. It is about power, to overpower, to disempower, to devalue, to conquer, to violate what is there, to steal it just because you can, because you have permission to. Taking a woman this way and not respecting her power is a byproduct of abusing the earth and it suppresses the cultivation of power of the inner female in all people. I put the incident out of my mind until I was in therapy for assault years later. I had adjusted to my damages. In time, through sharing stories with other women, these sisters, the ones we know by this membership to a club we would all love to be denied access to, there was healing. Through them, I was witnessed and able to learn a different way of being in the world. With their help, I was able to recall the event and face its effects on my life, retrieve myself, reclaim my sovereign power over my life and sexuality, and live more fully and in the present. I had a ways to go, though, from this night, however. I had more to learn about value and responsibility. Thank you for listening.